chapter thirty five of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain it is the stars morning brought no relief of mind to mrs warnock since it brought no news of her son but before night there was even greater anxiety at beechhurst where alan carew's mother arrived late in the evening summoned by a letter from her son dispatched from southampton on the previous day announcing his arrival and asking her to join him at beechhurst i would go straight to suffolk he wrote knowing how anxious my dear tender-hearted mother will be to welcome her wanderer home only only i think you know that there is some one at matcham about whose feelings i have still a shadow of doubt still a lingering hope i go there first where perhaps i may meet you and if i find that faint hope to be only a delusion i know you will sympathize with my final disappointment i have passed through many adventures and some dangers since i left the great lake i have been ill and i have been lonely but i come back to england the same man who went away unchanged in heart and mind however altered you may find the outer man the inner man is the same having telegraphed from waterloo to announce her arrival at matcham road station lady emily was bitterly disappointed at not finding her son waiting for her on the platform she looked eagerly out into the november darkness searching for the well-known figure among the few people standing here and there along the narrow platform there was no allen and there was no beechhurst carriage waiting for her the station-master recognized her as she alighted and came to assist in the selection of her luggage while a porter ran off to order a fly from the inn outside mr carew was expected home yesterday did he come asked lady emily with that faint sickness of blank despair which follows on such a disappointment she had pictured the moment of reunion over and over again during the journey had fancied how he would look what he would say to her and the delight of their long confidential talk on the drive home and the pleasure of their tete-a-tete dinner the only shadow upon her happy thought of him was her knowledge of what his faithful heart must needs suffer when he found that suzette had engaged herself to his rival the station-master informed lady emily that mr carew had arrived the day before by this very train he had evidently sent no notice of his arrival as there was no carriage to meet him he had very little luggage with him only a portmanteau and a bale of rugs and sticks which had been sent to beechhurst by the station bus mr carew had walked home he was at home then the gladness of reunion was only delayed for an hour his mother tried to make light of her disappointment and of his neglect he had given an order to the stable perhaps and it had been forgotten there was a mistake somewhere but no unkindness on his part was my son looking in pretty good health she asked the station-master yes my lady allowing for the wear and tear of a sea voyage mr carew looked pretty well but he looked pulled down a bit since he went away you mustn't be surprised at a little change in that way 
yes yes no doubt he is altered years of travel and fatigue and danger ah there is the fly they have been very quick come taylor to the middle-aged homely suffolk abigail who stood on guard over her mistress's luggage the drive through the november night seemed longer to the lady inside the carriage sitting alone and longing for the sight of her son's face than to her maid on the box beside john coachman of the station inn chatting sociably about the improvements in the neighbourhood and the prospects of the hunting season and oh bitter agony of disappointment when the door of beechhurst was open and lady emily saw only a half-lit hall and staircase and the stolid countenance of butler and caretaker whose informal attire too plainly showed her that his master was not in the house has mr carew gone away again she asked as the man helped her out of the carriage thinking vaguely that alan might have started off for suffolk that morning and that she and he were travelling to and fro at cross purposes mr carew has not been home my lady not been home why he arrived yesterday by the train i came by to-night the station-master told me so then he must be visiting somewhere in the neighbourhood my lady some luggage was brought at nine o'clock but my master has not been home she stood looking at the man dumbly paralysed by apprehension where could alan be what could he have done with himself his letter had asked her to meet him in that house he had arrived at the station twenty-four hours before he could expect her he had sent home his luggage and had walked out of the station in the most casual manner saying that he was going home was it credible that he would go to anybody else's house straight from the station luggageless newly landed after a long sea voyage no man in his senses would so act yet there was but one course for an anxious mother to take and lady emily returned to the fly and ordered the man to drive to marsh house alan might have gone straight to suzette who could tell what effect the news of her approaching marriage might have upon his mind his letter told his mother that he still hoped and the change from hope to despair would be crushing he might have hurried away from the scene of his disappointment careless how or where he went so long as he got himself far away from the place associated with his fickle sweetheart suzette was at home and received lady emily kindly forgetting all that had gone before in her compassion for the mother's distress alan had called at marsh house on the previous evening during suzette's absence he had been told that she was at the manor and the servant had understood him to say that he was going on to the manor he had seemed put out at hearing where she was the soldier servant had told his young mistress and were you not at the manor when he called lady emily asked no i left before lunch but instead of coming home where i was not expected i spent the afternoon at the vicarage and on the golf ground with bessie edgefield and mr warnock was with you most of the time i suppose not any of the time is he away then no if you must know the truth we had well 
i can hardly say we had quarrelled but geoffrey had been very disagreeable and i was glad to leave him to himself for the afternoon you are good friends again now no doubt we have not seen each other since geoffrey has gone away without letting any one know where he was going and his poor mother is anxious and unhappy about him he is so impetuous so erratic and you his sweetheart are still more anxious no doubt i am anxious chiefly for his poor mother's sake she is too easily frightened can they have gone away together anywhere said lady emily together allan and geoffrey exclaimed suzette no i don't think they would do that why not they were together for two years in africa yes but that was different i don't think in geoffrey's temper that he would have gone on a journey with your son he has a jealous temper i am sorry to say and he was irritable and unreasonable yesterday when he heard of mr carew's return is it likely that he would have gone off on any expedition with him to london or anywhere else then where is my son he was here at this hour yesterday he left here to go to the manor and now you tell me that mr warnock is missing and that my son has not been heard of since he left your door he has not been at the manor mrs warnock would have told me if he had called i was with her all this morning she is wretched about geoffrey they are both safe i dare say but their disappearance is very alarming alarming yes it means something dreadful something i dare not think of unless indeed allan changed his mind on finding the state of things here and went off to suffolk intending to anticipate my journey oh i dare say i am frightening myself for nothing will you let me write a telegram looking distractedly round the room for pens and ink dear lady emily pray don't be too anxious one is so often frightened for nothing my father is only to be an hour later than usual on a hunting day in order to make me half distracted please sit down by the fire here in this comfortable chair i'll write your telegram and send it off instantly she rang the bell and then seated herself quietly at her writing-table while allan's mother sank into a chair the image of helplessness what shall i say to allan carew vandyke millfield suffolk i am miserable at not finding you here reply immediately with full information as to your plans emily carew god grant i may hear of him there said lady emily when she had read message and address with a searching eye lest suzette's writing should offer any excuse for mistakes the telegram was handed to the servant with instructions to take it himself to the post-office and then lady emily kissed suzette with a sad remorseful kiss and went back to the fly discombe manor she told the man with very little consideration for the hard-working fly-horse yes my lady it'll be about as much as he can do he what do you mean the horse my lady he's been on his legs two hours already and the man is a good three mile but i suppose i shall be able to wash out his mouth there before i takes him home yes yes you may do what you like only get me to the manor as fast as you can allan had not been seen at the manor no one had rung the hall door-bell yesterday after luncheon mrs warnock's monastic solitude 
was not often intruded upon by visitors and yesterday there had been no one the door had not been opened after miss vincent went out geoffrey warnock's impatient temper always choosing an easier mode of egress than that ponderous hall-door which required a servant's attendance or else closed with a bang that reverberated through the house whatever allen's intention might have been when he left marsh house he had not come to discombe lady emily and mrs warnock were softened in their feelings for each other by a mutual terror but allen's mother dwelt upon the fact that the two young men as fellow-travellers of old might have started off upon some expedition a run up to london to see some new production at the theatre a billiard match anything in which young men might be interested they must be much better friends than before they went to africa much closer companions urged lady emily i feel there is less reason for fear now that i know your son is missing as well as allan mrs warnock tried to take the same hopeful view but she was of a less hopeful temperament and she knew too much of geoffrey's jealous distrust of his rival to believe that there had been any companionable feeling between the two young men since allan's return oh i am afraid i am afraid she moaned piteously wringing her hands in an agony of apprehension what is it you fear what calamity can have happened which would involve both your son and mine surely nothing dreadful could happen to both our sons and yet no tidings come either to you or to me wherever they were if any accident happened one or other of them would be recognized some one would bring us the news no i have been anxious and unhappy but i am sure now that i have been needlessly anxious we shall hear from them very soon mrs warnock clasped lady emily's hand in silence and shook her head despondently what is it you fear asked allan's mother i don't know but i am full of fear for geoffrey for both of them lady emily left her depressed and dispirited by the fear which shrunk from shaping itself in words the disposition to take a hopeful view of the case did not last in the face of mrs warnock's mysterious agitations and allan's mother went back to beechhurst stupefied with anxiety able only to walk about the house in and out of the empty rooms in helpless misery that state of not knowing what to fear ended suddenly soon after nine o'clock when there came the sound of wheels and a carriage stopped at the hall door lady emily rushed to the door and opened it with her own hands before any one had time to ring the bell opened it to find herself face to face with the woman she had left only two hours before mrs warnock was stepping out of her carriage as the hall door opened she wore neither bonnet nor cloak only a shawl wrapped round her head and shoulders he is found she said agitatedly will you come with me your son no alan carew ah it is dreadful to think of dreadful to tell you i came myself i wouldn't let anyone else he is dead cried lady emily her heart feeling like ice her knees trembling under her no no dreadfully hurt but not dead there is hope still mr podmore does not give up hope i have sent a messenger to salisbury we shall have dr etheridge to-morrow morning 
or i will send to london where is my son my murdered dying son no 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 not dying not murdered don't i tell you there is hope he is at discombe they have put him in jeffrey's room everything is being done he may recover he will he must recover lady emily was seated in the room unconscious of the movements that had conveyed her there the butler was at the hall door by this time staring in blank wonder not knowing what to think of this rapid departure send your mistress's maid to the manor with her things ordered mrs warnock hurriedly and then to her own servant waiting at the carriage door home as fast as you can drive why was he taken to your house and not to his own asked lady emily in a dull whisper when the carriage had driven out of the gates because it was so much nearer to bring him he was found in our woods robbed and hurt cruelly hurt there is a dreadful wound upon his head and there are signs of a desperate struggle as if he had fought for his life oh god that he should be murdered here in england within an hour's walk of his own house and i have dreamt of him in some dreadful danger from savage beasts savage men night after night in those dreary years he was away and that he should come home home to love and happiness and safety as i thought to meet the fate i had been fearing i prayed god day and night for him prayed that he might be brought back to me in safety and he came back came back only to die wailed the unhappy woman her head sunk upon her knees her hands working convulsively amongst her loosened hair he will not die cried mrs warnock fiercely don't i tell you that he will not die the wound need not be fatal the doctor said it was not a hopeless case why do you go on raving as if you wanted him to die as if you were bent on being miserable and driving me mad you what have you to do with it he is not your son your son is safe enough i dare say your son who left him in the desert who came sneaking home to steal his comrade's sweetheart your son is safe selfish wretches of that kind are never in danger mrs warnock bore this insulting speech in silence and there was no word more on either side for the rest of the journey not without hope looking down at the motionless form lying on geoffrey warnock's bed in the large airy room the hand on the coverlet as white as the lawn sheet the face disfigured and hardly to be recognized as alan's face under the broad linen bandage which covered forehead and eyes the lips livid and speechless looking with agonized heart at this spectacle alan's mother found it hard to believe the doctor's assurance that the case was not in his humble opinion utterly hopeless we shall know more to-morrow he said are they trying to find the wretch who did it asked lady emily god grant he may be hanged for murder if my son is to die i shall go from here to the police station and take all necessary steps if i have your ladyship's authority for doing so the keeper who found your poor son sent a lad off to give information yes yes and you will offer a reward a large reward my poor boy my dear dear son to see him lying there quite unconscious speechless helpless my murdered boy where did they find him how lying in a little hollow among the underwood within a few paces of the path there is a gate in the fence opening into the high road and a footpath 
and cart-track which cut into the main drive four or five hundred yards from the gate it is a point at which he might be likely to meet a tramp as it is so near the road and a long way from any of the lodge gates the drive would be in mr carew's straight course from marsh house here yes yes and it was a tramp you are sure of that a common robber who attacked him evidently his pockets were turned inside out his watch was gone there was a day when no one man would have dared to attack my son there may have been two men the ground was a good deal trampled the keeper told me but they would be able to see very little by the light of a couple of lanterns brought from the stables to the north lodge we shall see the footsteps and be able to come to a better idea of the struggle to-morrow morning send for a london detective the best that can be got lady emily interrupted eagerly be sure we will do all that can be done he has no father to take his part she went on distractedly no wife no sweetheart even to care for him only a poor weak mother if he should die there will be only one broken heart in the world only one dear lady why anticipate the worst remonstrated the doctor yes yes i am wrong i must cast myself upon god's mercy i am not an irreligious woman i will pray for him pray there is nothing else in the world that i can do but while i am praying you will work you will find the wretch who did this cruel deed you will send for the cleverest doctor in london the one man of all men who can cure my poor boy you may trust me lady emily nothing shall be forgotten or deferred it was not till the following morning that the news of alan carew's condition and his presence at discombe reached general vincent and his daughter mrs mornington was the bearer of those dismal tidings always active alert and early afoot she heard of the tragedy from the village tradesmen and was told three conflicting versions of the story first at the grocer's where she was assured that mr carew had breathed his last five minutes after he was carried into the manor-house next from the butcher's wife a very ladylike person rarely seen except through glass in a little counting-house giving on to the shop and who opened her glass shutter on purpose to inform mrs mornington that both young gentlemen had been picked up for dead in the copse at discombe mr warnock shot through the heart mr carew with a bullet in his left temple the result of a duel to the death a third informant taking the air in front of the coach-builder's workshop where everybody's carriages went sooner or later for repairs assured mrs mornington that there hadn't been much harm done and that mr carew who had had his pockets picked by a tramp had been more frightened than hurt mrs mornington was not the kind of person to languish in uncertainty about any fact in local history while she possessed the nerves of speech and locomotion before the coach-builder finished his rambling story she had dispatched a village boy to the grove to order her pony-cart to be brought her as quickly as the groom could get it ready and her orders being always respected the honest bay cob met her rattling his bit and whisking his tail from joyous freshness at the bend of the village street within a quarter of an hour of the messenger's start the boy had run his fastest the groom had not lost a moment for mrs mornington was one of those excellent mistresses who stand no nonsense from their servants the cob went to discombe at a fast trot and returned stablewards still faster indulging in occasional spurts of cantering which his mistress did not check with her usual severity she saw no one but servants at the manor-house mrs warnock was in her own room quite prostrate the butler explained lady emily was with mr carew who had passed a bad night and was certainly no better this morning even if he were no worse is it very serious david mrs mornington asked the trustworthy old servant 
i'm afraid it couldn't be much worse ma'am the doctor from salisbury was here at nine o'clock and was upstairs with mr podmore very near an hour but he didn't look very cheerful when he left no more did mr podmore and there's another doctor been telegraphed for from london if doctors can save the poor gentleman's life he'll be spared but i saw his face last night when he was carried upstairs and i can't say i've much hopes of him never mind your hopes david if the doctors can pull him through a young man can get over a good deal if he can get over having his head mashed and lying for twenty-seven hours in a wood he must have a better constitution than ever i heard tell of the wretch who attacked him has not been found yet i suppose no ma'am not yet nor never likely to be so far as i can see he had seven-and-twenty hours start you see ma'am and if a professional thief couldn't get off with that much law the profession can't be up to much begging your pardon ma'am for venturing to express an opinion concluded david who felt that he had been presuming on an old servant's license mrs mornington told him she was very glad to hear his opinion and then handed him cards for the two ladies on each of which she had scribbled assurances of sympathy and with this much information from the fountain-head she appeared in the drawing-room at marsh house where she found suzette sitting by the fire in a very despondent mood her lover's mysterious disappearance after something which was very like a quarrel was not a cheering incident in her life and now lady emily's anxiety about her son the fact that he too should be missing increased her trouble of mind she listened aghast to her aunt's story what does it mean she faltered what can it mean the meaning is plain enough i think this poor young man was waylaid in the dusk on thursday evening attacked and plundered by a tramp by one of the criminal classes a ticket-of-leave man perhaps rambling from portland to london ready to snatch any opportunity on the way there's very little use in speculating about a wretch of that class there are plenty of such ruffians loose in the world i dare say but it would have served a robber's purpose just as well to have only stunned him oh those gentry don't consider things so nicely no doubt allan showed fight and the ruffian would have no mercy do you think he will die oh aunt how terrible if he were to die and geoffrey still away mrs warnock miserable about him yes that's the strangest part of the business what can have induced geoffrey to take himself off in that mysterious way have you any idea why he went no i have no idea if he is keeping away of his own accord if nothing dreadful has happened to him his conduct is most insulting to you never mind me aunt while there is this trouble at discombe for poor lady emily i am very sorry for her but i am obliged to think of you his behaviour places you in such an awkward position a ridiculous position your wedding day fixed hurried on with red-hot impatience by this young man and he the bridegroom missing what do you suppose people will say i have no suppositions about people outside our lives i can only think of the sorrow at discombe people can say anything they like suzette answered wearily her father had been questioning her and had talked very much in the same strain as her aunt she was tired to heart-sickness to talk about geoffrey all had grown dark in her life and darkest of all was her thought of her betrothed there had been that in his manner when she parted with him which had filled her with a shapeless dread a terror not to be lightly named a terror she had not ventured to suggest even to her father and here was her aunt teasing her about other people utterly indifferent people and their ideas what will people not say exclaimed mrs mornington after a troubled pause in which she had poked the fire almost savagely and pulled a chair back straight i must have a serious talk with your father is he at home no he is out shooting shooting it is scarcely decent of him in the present state of affairs any more presents i don't know 
yes there was a box came this morning i haven't opened it please don't talk of presents it is too horrid to think of them horridly embarrassing said mrs mornington you had better come to the grove suzette there is no good in your moping alone here and you may have visitors in the afternoon prying and questioning thanks aunt i would rather be at home i shall deny myself to everybody except bessie edgefield ah and you'll tell her everything and she will tell everybody in matching i have nothing to tell nothing that bessie cannot find out from other people but she is not a gossip and she is always simpatica End of chapter thirty five